This is an ABC podcast. Hey, Norman, you know since we dropped down to one podcast a week, our producer Will has been seeing other podcasts. You're kidding me. What an inconstant hussy. (laughs) I know. Who's he been seeing? Who's he been seeing? He's been working on this big new podcast about the war in Ukraine. It's called Russia If You're Listening. And you've been listening to this rogue podcast? I have because I'm the favourite one. He actually gave me a sneak preview last week and it's really, really good. But he hasn't given me episode two, so I'm going to have to subscribe. He told you to say that, I bet. (laughs) You know, we have two puppets, Norman, ruled by our omniscient overlord, but he also told me to tell you that he'll edit in a preview of the season at the end of this episode. He's really quite a nice bloke, sometimes. When he wants to be. That's Russia, if you're listening. It's out today, so go subscribe, and we will be delighted if you do. It won't be disloyal. But enough about other podcasts. Let's do CoronaCast, a show all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor coming to you from Jagera and Turable Land. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan coming to you from Gadigal Land. It's Wednesday, November 9th, 2022. And Norman, if you get COVID today, it's a very different picture as to what you're required to do compared to the beginning of this year. There's no mandatory isolation requirements anymore, except for if you're in specific settings like aged care and healthcare. First, we had PCR tests, which were very accurate, but you had to do them at a clinic and takes a couple of days to get a result. And then we had rapid antigen tests or rats, not as accurate, but you could do them yourself at home and get a result within minutes. But the accuracy of rats has always been a bit of a question. And with the virus continuing to mutate and evolve, we've got, we're getting a lot of questions from our listeners about whether they're still effective enough to actually be useful at all. And that's a really important question. So why why do we care? Well, what, first of all, that's the they're they're taking the base load of testing now rather than PCR, which is what you're seeing, even with the inadequate testing that's going on. Secondly, it's how general practitioners decide whether or not you merit an antiviral. So if you're qualified for an antiviral, but the base qualification is you, you're positive on a rat test for um, COVID nineteen. If there's underperformance on the rat test, then people are going to be missed who could have had an antiviral. They are relied upon in aged care to help control COVID-19 outbreaks in the most vulnerable population. And they're relied upon in hospitals as the initial screening for whether or not you might go into a COVID ward or a single ward or a shared ward. So we're, we're leaning on them pretty heavily then, like they'd better be working. Correct. And the problem is they were designed for earlier versions of the virus do they work for Omicron? And there have not been very many studies into this, and they are pretty mixed. On balance, rapid antigen tests are less accurate with Omicron. And the question is, how less accurate? The research suggests that, for example, even with high viral loads, so there's this thing called the CT value, and the CT value is Essentially, the lower it is, the more virus you've got on board. And you'd think that the rapid antigen test would be picking up um, the virus when you're at low CTs. In other words, you've got a lot of virus aboard. But in fact, the balance of evidence seems to be that the rapid antigen test with Omicron, particularly BA5 as the year has evolved, takes longer to come positive. So the anecdotes that you get, we're getting from the CoronaCast audience seem to be borne out by the fairly small amount of research that's been done, which is that it takes two, three days for the rat test to become positive and the PCR test becomes positive before the rat. 
which has kind of been the way all along, but it's probably getting longer and less sensitive. In other words, it requires more virus later in the disease, which means more days to infection. So that's a problem for antivirals, that you might get the antivirals later than you otherwise would, or you might miss the boat. And you could be out there spreading it. And you're out there spreading it, and you could be spreading it in residential aged care or in a hospital environment. Then the question is, with XBB, BQ1 uh, and BQ1.1, those new variants, amongst other subvariants, I should say, that are circulating, what's the effectiveness of rapid antigen tests with them? Now, the Therapeutic Goods Administration says they're doing an independent study of quite a few rapid antigen testing kits. They, in the past, have verified a few of the kits that are on the market. So in other words, they originally went with what the manufacturers said, and then they've gone and verified whether or not what their manufacturers said about the performance of their kits was, was accurate. But the question is, as the virus has evolved and got down to new subvariants, which is which are BA5, are they performing as well? And if not, what are we going to do about it? So they're super important. They've definitely got a role to play. We're not really getting the data. Like, I guess the real question is for people listening now, is it still worth using them now? It is still worth using them because it's all we've got. But if you've got a scratchy throat and you're feeling fatigued and you've got an upper respiratory infection, you should assume it's COVID until proven otherwise. And if the rat testing keeps on being negative, you should talk to your GP about getting a, a PCR test. And they don't always take two days to come back. They can take uh, 12 hours in some parts of Australia. So there's sometimes still quite rapid turnaround. But it, it is worth knowing, particularly if you're vulnerable yourself or you're living with vulnerable people or you're in an occupation where you need to know. We know, despite the fact that there isn't heaps of testing happening compared to what there was maybe a year ago, that there is more COVID around. Where's this data coming from and what's the latest? So it's the national data on people reporting positive results and presumably hospitals as well when they've got positive results from patients on the ward and GPs and so on. So the, the wave is now well established. Cases last week went up in New South Wales and Victoria by about 20%. In South Australia by 27%, ACT by 17%, and um, the state that wins the prize, unfortunately, is Tasmania at 40%, quite extraordinary. Now, Queensland is saying they've got reduced numbers of cases. Now, whether this is a test, it's hard to imagine that Queensland's an exception. I know Queenslanders like to think they're an exception. We are exceptional. Mm, maybe. <laughs> or maybe the data collection is a problem or testing is a problem. It's unlikely that Queensland is escaping this wave. And just to add to that data before we move on to something else, the um, Victorian Chief Health Officer has said that last week, at the end of last week, there was a 34% increase in hospitalisations compared to the same time the week before. It's still low compared to the uh, BA5 outbreak earlier this year, but as we know, it, it grows quickly and it grows exponentially. Yeah, and I mean, not really a surprise to anyone who has friends and, and family because it feels like everyone's had COVID so far. But if you want to put a firm number on it, there is actually some new research out by a group called the Paediatric Active Enhanced Diseases Surveillance Network, basically doing surveillance on diseases in young people who were saying that two-thirds of Australians, including children and adolescents, have had COVID according to um, studies of their antibodies nationwide. Yeah. And the chances of reinfection um, when you've had, say, BA5 in the past 
are thought to be around about 30%. So it doesn't give you very high coverage against a future infection. So the best protection is immunization and keeping your boosters up to date because that does protect you against severe disease and bring that back up. And yes, there is an erosion of protection against severe disease with these new subvariants, but it's not huge. But if you take that into consideration alongside the fact that you might not have had another dose of COVID-19 vaccine from your second dose a year ago, then that really does compound your vulnerability. Whereas a booster gets you right back up. So make sure you're up to date with your boosters. And Norman, last week we were talking about immune imprinting, this idea that if you had the original strain of, of COVID either in the form of a disease or in the form of a vaccine, that perhaps that sort of becomes the first version that your body recognises. You use the analogy of a duckling that maybe imprints on a person, thinks it's their mother, if it got separated from its real mum. Well, one of our listeners actually tweeted me, his name's Stuart, and he sent me pics of some ducklings that imprinted on him oh. after they were orphaned earlier this year. They're super cute little fluffy boys and girls, and then they're still extra snuggly now, sitting on his lap, even as grown-up ducks. Isn't that sweet? As Stuart says, it's much cuter than an antibody. <laughs> and much less painful than a needle. <laughs> I don't know. I've never been pecked by a duck. It could be. It could be worse. Oh, well, it's true. It's true. It's true. And some other feedback on a slightly more serious note. We had someone tweet us saying that they actually got onto their MP saying that they were not feeling very confident with how the COVID rules were going, and actually got a reply. Would you like to hear? So they contacted the member of parliament. Yeah. So sorry. This this listener Tim wrote to his MPs, both state and federal, about his concerns around COVID isolation and actually got a reply from the principal project officer from the Communicable Diseases Branch in Queensland Health. Note of caution, this is someone on Twitter who sent us a screen grab, but basically it says this, the public health response to COVID-19 has now changed considerably with the majority of restrictions now lifted as we have achieved vaccination coverage of over 90% and continue to live with COVID-19. The uh, statement goes on to say, nationally and in Queensland, the focus is on now learning to adapt to ongoing and fluctuating transmission of COVID-19, which may include repeated waves. They say, we are seeking to create an environment that mitigates pandemic fatigue, generates resilience and reduces reliance on government interventions. And so my question would be, why aren't they doing anything about ventilation and prevention? Yeah, and also just this idea of reducing reliance on government interventions. I suppose sustainability has to be a factor, but are we really ready to move to that phase quite yet? Yeah, and this is a virus and the next pandemic will be a respiratory virus as well, spread in similar ways. Even monkeypox is thought in part to be spread via aerosols. We should be doing something on a national level to protect our indoor air. And that's to do with government regulation, largely at a state and local government level. It really does seem to be the missing piece that hasn't had as much attention as many of the other infection control measures. If you've got something that you'd like to add to this conversation, either from your own uh, musings or from um, contact that you've had with your local MPs or health services, you can get in touch with us by going to abc.net.au slash coronacast. And in the meantime, keep the doors and the windows open. That's right. Keep that fresh air coming in and keep on listening to this feed because you've got a little taster of Russia if you're listening coming up. Yes, stay tuned and we'll see you next week. See you then. Okay. So I've hit record here. <laughs> Where were you on the morning of the 24th of February? I'm Matt Bevan and yes, If You're Listening is back for a seventh season. 
We've covered China, America and climate change, but now we're going back to our roots. We're going back to... Russia. I was in bed and woken up to air raid sirens, which pretty quickly followed by a call from my boss. And I'll always remember the first words she said to me were, it's happening. Well, we are breaking in to bring you some uh, news that just come in. Earlier this year, Russian President Vladimir Putin decided to invade Ukraine. The strategist and spymaster who used to lurk in the shadows has exploded out into the open with a full-scale invasion. It would have been the absolute you know, crowning achievement of his career and the, the core element of his political legacy. It was a battle he thought he couldn't lose, but he encountered something he wasn't expecting. Russia is trying to defeat the freedom of all people in Europe, of all the people in the world. The president of Ukraine, Volodymyr Zelensky. He is incredibly good at the messaging, that kind of wartime messaging. Nor could he have foreseen the tenacity of the Ukrainian people. I mean, we are fighting for our life, we are fighting for our freedom. The West has dug in and backed Ukraine by issuing sanctions, but a cold, hard winter is coming. This season on Russia, if you're listening, two countries go to war. The fates of their leaders, the two Volodymyrs, are now entwined. The trajectories of two personalities, of Putin and Zelensky, are very different. Zelensky is able to bring the nation to resist. Putin cannot bring the Russian nation to any common decision. Zelensky, a comedian who became an international hero. You're my hero. You're my hero. Oh, yes. no. Versus Putin, the man who will never give up. He's not going to walk away from this fight. He's going to go on until he has something which he can portray as victory. Will Putin crush Ukraine, the fledgling democracy he thinks should be part of Russia? Or has he made the biggest mistake of his life? The new season drops on November 9th. Subscribe now. And while you're waiting, check out season three on the ABC Listen app. It's aged remarkably well, given the events of this year. I'll catch you on November 9th.